Amen. Good morning, guys. How you doing? Good. It's good to be together. I echo what Steve said. It was uh, a cold, dreary morning waking up, and um, but I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful for this place. My name's Steve, and if we haven't had the chance to meet, I look forward to shaking your hand and getting to know you, and uh, welcome to the branch. But we're... Um, we're in a series on Exodus, so if you're new here, uh, go ahead and flip over to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament, so uh, it's a pretty easy one to find. Wait till we get to the Minor Prophets and you spend 45 minutes trying to find Habakkuk. But, so we're in Exodus. Uh, before we dive in, though, I want to bring a few things to your attention. Uh, the first is tonight's family reunion event is at 5.30 here at the Park and Rec. Uh, I really encourage you, if you've been on the fringe of the branch for a little while and kind of curious about who we are, you haven't gotten into a family group yet, this is an excellent time to get to meet our family group leaders, to better understand the culture of who we are as a church, our kind of our mission, vision, values, uh, and uh, evidently I've been hearing we're going to have a fantastic meal. So um, please make your way here tonight for family reunion. The second is if you're a member of the branch, a covenant member of the branch, we have a members meeting next Sunday at 8.30. I really want to encourage you to be there. We've got a lot of stuff to bring before you. And uh, so that's next Sunday. Uh, We meet right here in one of these back rooms at 8.30. So uh, that's for the members. The next is uh, February the 5th, which is the first Sunday of the month. We did this in December, and we're trying to get into a regular rhythm of gathering as a church to just specifically spend time in prayer. And so you don't have to be a member. You don't have to be a part of a family group. We want to encourage you to be part of that because I believe a people that pray together uh, rest in the presence of God well together. And so that will be uh, February the 5th. And then lastly, in a couple of weeks, uh, our women are going to start gathering together weekly uh, for a time of fellowship and Bible study. And so you can get more information on one of the tables in the back and do that there. Um, Let's see what else we have. Um, New member alert. Uh, I don't know what else to call it. We'll just call it new member alert. Maybe next time we'll have like a big flashing light or something like that and uh, feel like Jeopardy. I don't know. Uh, Maggie Davidson has gone through the membership process and has decided to partner in covenant membership. And I take every opportunity I can uh, to say this, but covenant membership at the branch is more than just like your name is on our member role. Like we don't really care about how, like the number of members, we care deeply about the gospel partnership. And so uh, hear me say that. I'm going to say it every time we announce a new member, every time we have a member class, uh, we care more about uh, who we are as a body and as a people than we do about how many people are here. And uh, we believe that God's faithful in all of that. Okay. So Exodus chapter 20, if you haven't had a chance to get there, um, we're in verses 12 through 17. And, uh, you know, before we do this, I I think I would be kind of remiss to mention, uh, I meant to do this last week, and I just spaced, and and that's part of my sinfulness, and um, a lot of you in the room uh, would know the name Ray Prince. Uh, Ray is the pastor of Berea uh, Baptist Church, kind of on, uh, in Dahlonega, and uh, Ray's been really sick for a long time, and uh, he's in his last days, and I got to talk to him earlier this week, and if you got to meet Ray, you know that he's not defeated at all. Uh, He lives with a lot of joy and zeal. He's a guy who loves the Word of God. Uh, He pastored his church for 30 years, so there's a a lot of Ray that I I really desire to be like, and uh, his people love him, and uh, he's a faithful steward. And so would you pray for him? His wife's name is Anita, uh, their daughter Ashley, her and her husband and their kids. And so um, they do have a new pastor, 
Um, God has been super gracious to them, and so we're excited for what's ahead for Berea. But just pray for Ray this week as you think, and we'll do that now. How about that? And uh, then we'll dive into Exodus, okay? Uh, Father, we're grateful uh, just for friendship in the gospel, and uh, I'm just uh, so humbled to know Ray as a friend and a fellow pastor in this community, and God, his, his reach has gone far beyond Berea, and uh, as our church kind of explored what it might look like to join together, um, I was just uh, so great, grateful to have spent time with him, and uh, so we pray for a few things. We pray for comfort in his last days. Uh, we pray for a comfort to his wife and uh, to his family. And uh, God, I pray that his legacy would not be forgotten quickly. And um, so he has much for us to model after, and we're thankful for that. And so now as we dive into your word, we pray that you would go before us as we do and uh, give us courage to see what you have to say this morning. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, by the way, the, the body of Christ is bigger than the branch. Okay, so uh, know that. Don't forget it. All right, I'm going to use the same introduction that I did last week. I'm not trying to cheat you. It's just the same introduction. So we're taking the second half of the Ten Commandments. The f- last week we did uh, verses 1 through 11, and that kind of gave us what we called the vertical commands, the commands that lead us to worship, right? Do not have another God before me. Don't make a graven image. Don't take my name in vain. And this week we, we flip that into how do we treat one another? How do we deal in community, what we would call the the horizontal commands? And so what I really want to kind of convince us all of is that all of them are vertical commands. All of them have to do with worship. These specifically have to to deal with how we deal with one another, but how we treat one another is also how we worship God, okay? So while we're going to call them horizontal just to give them a distinction, they are vertical in and of themselves. And as God reveals himself to us, he will help us treat one another as brothers and sisters in a family where he is the head, okay? So we talked last week that uh, the vertical worship is our love of God. This is what Jesus, when he consolidates all of the law of the Old Testament into uh, love God and love others, is that worship element. The other is mission, how we treat each other in the world. And so uh, the Ten Commandments are often known in, uh, as the Ten Words, right? And so we have these things to remember. And we tried to establish last week, the primary point is that these are not uh, trying to, it's not behavior modification that we're after. What we're after is the heart of who God is as he reveals himself to us in these laws. As he establishes his law, He's establishing his nature and his character. The stuff that he cares about is where he's establishing his law. And so what I don't want us to do is to leave here and think, oh gosh, I have to do better. Okay? What I do want us to leave here with is, man, God is great, and I'm going to worship him in the way that I don't steal from my neighbor. Okay? So that's where we are today. But all of these commands give us, uh, are given to us for our good and for the good of others as we worship, ultimately for the glory of God. Okay? Uh, we know this, that uh, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and sin, the, the consequence of sin is death. And why we gather here today is not to celebrate death, but to celebrate life that is given to us in Jesus Christ. And so that's the primary point. Okay, so let's just not miss that as we talk about all the things that we should and shouldn't do, okay? Um, But I want to remind you of John chapter 14, verse 15, where Christ says, if you love me, you will what? You're going to keep my commands. 
Okay? If you love me, you will keep my commands. And our love for God is reflected in our obedience to his word, which he has given to us. We get to hold it. We get to read it. We get to see it and study it and dive into it. And so the way we even preach the scripture here is, is that sort of value of what this is the word of God. We should come to it with great angst and great zeal and a ton of excitement, and then we should leave from it in a great conviction of what he's called us to do and who he's called us to be in the world. But if you'll remember from last week, it's our, as God's people, it's our desire to do God's will. We, we desire to do his will because we've already been saved, okay? We don't do his will in order to be saved. Christ is the one who did the will, okay? It was the will of the Father to what? To crush him, and in his crushing, we find our freedom. And so what I don't want us to do is get caught up in legalism, although the law is important. We've said this now all the way through Exodus. Christ came to, what? To fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. So the law is important, and it's in the law that we learn, one, to worship God because we're, he's revealing himself to us. So we, we say all of this all the time, but... God, would you give us eyes like Jesus had to see the people in the world? Would you give us ears to hear the stories of, our, of the people that you've put into our life, right? So as we begin to see the world the way that Christ sees the world, then what? We respond by obeying, okay? That's the dangerous four-letter word, all right? So here we go. Let's dive in. I'm going to read it all, and then we'll come back in uh, command by command. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Um, if you're a parent in the room and your kid's not here, we do have a section for them about honoring your father and mother. So if you want to go grab them while I read, I'll give you time. I'll slow things down a bit if you have somebody that we need to, like, nudge in here, okay? All right, so this is Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And this is the word of the Lord. So let's go back to verse 12. This is the fifth commandment. I like to see this as a bridge command. Okay, so we're talking about vertical and horizontal. This is where those things come together. Right? If, if God reveals him to, himself to us as a perfect father, then our relationship to him is being modeled, it's being reflected in our relationship to our earthly fathers and mothers. Right? This is, has more to do with uh, authority rather than it has to do with the familial unit, if you will. But the family unit is very, very important. So honor your father and mother. Here's the, the main idea of this command. We should honor the authority placed over us because we have a heavenly Father who loves us and leads us. Now, here's what I know. I know a lot of you in the room, and um, my, my parents are in the room, so they, they know that I lived this out perfectly all of the years of my life. Um, so I have a lot to say here as I raise three kids of my own who are falling way short. Um, but <laughs> Braden's looking at me like, he's being serious? No, no, I'm just teasing. But what we have to learn here is I know a lot of us in the room have parents who aren't great. I, I was... I have awesome parents, but that the point here is that we don't honor our father and mother because of who they are, right, in their, the way that they live their life. We honor them because of who they are, because God's placed them in authority over our life. So here's what the command doesn't say. Honor your father and mother if they're good people, 
or if they're not on drugs, or if they don't leave your family, or if they don't get divorced, or if they don't cheat, or if they don't lie. It, there's no caveat. It is just what? Honor your father and your mother, right? And so what I hope to do as in this and as I encourage you here is that the command as this, this bridge, is, it really has more to do with seeing God for who he is as the ultimate authority in our life. But to honor is to give proper weight, right? The biblical word honor translates into the word glory, okay? What if, it, what if this read like glory in your father and your mother? That gives us something tangible, right? It, it doesn't just say obey. It says to honor them. Now, obedience is part of that. Respect is part of that, right? And so what we've got to do then as parents is we need to take seriously our role as parents. We need to be people who are worthy of being honored, knowing that we're sinners in need of forgiveness. Now here's just the encouragement if your parents fall in the category that I was just talking about. They're sinners in need of forgiveness. God doesn't say, I'm going to give you perfect parents so that you might honor them. He gives you human parents who are not perfect, and yet he's calling us to honor them, right? So children, what does that mean for us? You should love and respect, or those words combined make up the word honor, to love and to respect them. That's what you've been called to do as children, and you need to understand and remember that they need Jesus too, right? As soon as our parents present themselves as perfect parents, they have forgotten the gospel, because it's in our imperfection that we can then point to a perfect Savior who is a perfect leader, a perfect one to honor and one to follow. So parents, we should live lives in a way that's worth honoring. That's how we treat one another as husband and wife. It's how we connect to the local church. It's how we do our jobs in the world. But it's also how we walk through discipline. Discipline isn't a bad thing. Throughout Scripture, we see God disciplining His children because He loves them. But you can discipline in a way that is sinful and earthly. I love uh, Paul here in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read this real quick. You don't have to go there. Just listen to these words. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. You see the difference there? Obey your parents in the Lord. Not that they are in the Lord, but that you are in the Lord. Okay? For this is right. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. Going, calling all the way back to Exodus 20. And then in parentheses, Paul writes, this is the first commandment with a promise. And we're going to get to that here in just a second. Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Quoting directly from Mount Sinai. Verse 4, fathers, do not what? Provoke your children. Don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this command to honor our father and mother is the first commandment that leads at has a promise attached to it, right? That you may live long in the land. So what does that mean? In the Hebrew, to live long in the land is a Hebrew phrase for the fullness of God's blessing. Now here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that if you obey your parents, you're going to live to be 100 and you're going to have a couple hundred acres out in like, you know, Lumpkin County somewhere. That's not what God is trying to say here. What he's saying is to live long in the land is to live long in my presence. That is the blessing that God Gives us. So as we obey, as we honor our father and mother, we are reenacting the gospel. We are honoring God in our honoring of our 
fathers and our mothers. So to live long in the land, God's people at this point in Exodus were journeying to a promised land that they had not yet seen, but God had been promising. And he's going to fulfill that promise in the short term, and ultimately he fulfills it with an empty tomb in Christ as he gives us an inheritance that we do not deserve. So what do we learn in this command? We learn that God cares deeply for the weak and he cares deeply for the vulnerable. Okay? So this has to do with parents, but also has to do with children. There's, there's no one in the room more vulnerable than a child. Okay? So hear me say that. As what we see in Jesus, he's oftentimes, he's, even the Beatitudes, they're structured around the weak. They're structured around the vulnerable. They're structured around the people that the world is trying to crush. And even all the way back in Exodus 20, you can hear this echo in Christ's Beatitudes of him going back to honor your father and mother. Care deeply for the people and authority of your life, okay? So the fifth commandment teaches us that God has all authority, and he is generous, okay? He is going to give you a land that you do not deserve, okay? Let's go to the sixth commandment. This is verse 13. This is where we get the thou shalt nots, depending on what kind of church you grew up in. Mine just says you shall not, okay? Uh, some modern, more modern translations just say don't, all right? So we said this last week, instead of seeing these as negative statements, we need to see these as definitions of who God is, okay? See, read them as I am statements, and I'm going to help us get there, okay? So the first one, you shall not murder. How you doing? Good? Yeah. So here's my first take. I said this in family group this week. Who's, who's writing down the Ten Commandments? Say it. What's his name? Moses is. Moses killed a guy. So all of a sudden, Moses is, he's, he's like one through five. He's like, oh, okay, I like that. Don't have another God above. Okay, I like that too. Uh, honor my father. Well, my dad, I mean, I, they kind of, I got thrown into a river, but I was saved. I was adopted into a new family, but I was, grew up in Pharaoh's house, so that was a little weird. I don't really have a ton of respect for him. Let my people go. Oh, okay, back to the Ten Commandments. Don't kill. Ooh. Uh, I wonder if God saw me bury a good dude in the sand, right? And all of a sudden, he sees now in himself his need for a savior. This is the guy that God appointed to lead his people out of bondage into forever promised land. And he was a murderer. He actually killed someone. Here's what I love about what Jesus does. Is he takes this and he turns it right upon its head. Because a lot of us are going to go through life without ever pulling the trigger on someone. And Jesus, what does he say? If you have anger in your heart to your neighbor or your brother, you have committed murder. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I need to stop driving to Atlanta. I need somebody else to pick my kids up from school. I need to stop watching college football. And if the Braves don't sign Dansby Swanson back, I should stop watching baseball. You shall not murder. It's more about the sacredness of life. And this is what we don't need to miss. God's revealing in the sixth commandment, the sanctity of human life. All of life, every single heartbeat is precious to God because that heartbeat was created in the image of God, regardless of what they do with their life. When God speaks into creation, let's, let us create man in our image, he doesn't say only the ones who obey my law. He doesn't say only the ones who, who come to Jesus after the church will will take over the world and acts. He's not, he doesn't caveat it. He says, every human, 
was created in my image. Those are even the people who are far from God. The people that it's easy for us to not like. The people that it's easy for us to kill in our hearts. God's revealing the sanctity of human life. The Hebrew word, though, for murder is specific to putting to death improperly. Right? This is a reactionary kill. What I don't want us to do is get caught up in like, well, what about war? What about capital punishment? I think there's, there's place to have that conversation in the church. This is not the time for that. But we can't kill unlawfully because life is sacred. We should stand up for the weak and the vulnerable who are the first to have their lives taken. Matthew 5, angers like murder. James 3, warns against the power of the tongue. Lashing out with your mouth is to kill your neighbor, okay? So all of us have failed in the sixth commandment. Probably none of us have put anyone under the sand. And yet we all need Christ to fulfill this command. The sixth commandment reveals God's love for us and his great care for his creation. Remember what he said when he created man and woman. It wasn't just good. It was very good because it was the first thing that reflected his image. Okay, seventh command. Do not commit adultery. So the point here is we should not commit adultery because God is pure. God is faithful and he's holy and he calls us to be a people of purity, a people of faithfulness, and a people of holiness. So what does Jesus say about adultery? It's not just don't cheat on your spouse, right? Because I think a lot of us could get, we could be okay there. But Jesus says, if you lust after another one, specifically talking about a man, if a man were to lust after a woman, he has committed adultery in his heart. And all of a sudden, all the dudes kind of clenched up and like, oh my goodness, I've been seen and I've been exposed. It's not just for men, by the way, it goes to the women as well. That's Matthew chapter 5. But I think we have, there's something in our world today that has rejected this one maybe above all the other ones, right? And this is a, this is a culmination of the first four. Don't have, a, don't have any gods above me. Well, we've made sex a god in our culture, okay? And I, I'm not here to judge anyone in this room. I'm just here to observe the culture that we live in and to point us towards Jesus. So if you feel like I'm stepping on your toes, that's not me, okay? But our world's obsession with images and the ease to get our hands on explicit content is eroding our culture faster than anything else, probably throughout the history of humanity. The internet, our phones, everything is so available, and what's happening is it's eroding the purity of our generation, which eventually is eroding the integrity of our families. I mean, how many families do we know that don't have dads because they couldn't stop looking at something on the internet? How many families do we know who the mom left because somebody else younger, better looking, right? This has more to do with the content of our heart. So pornography, dating apps, romance novels, all of these things have been flooding into our lives, pushing the boundaries of who we are in Christ. Premarital relationships, pushing the boundaries there. Sorry, students. This is real talk. The point behind do not commit adultery is that have no other gods before me. Have a pure heart in Christ. What would it look like if, if the church alone, just the people in the church, embraced a life of purity? Genuine purity, not pretentious purity. Like, well, I didn't have sex until I got married. Yeah, but 
you're scrolling on Instagram for countless hours looking at things that you have no business looking at. Again, this is not me judging you or judging even myself. This is we look at what Jesus cares about, the stuff that he cares about. He cares a lot about the purity of our hearts because the only way that he can dwell deeply in our hearts is for it not to be this lustfulness nature inside of us. Sexual purity is important to God because of the union of our flesh to another. This is what's happening in marriage. The two have become what? One. So all of these other things, they're deteriorating your ability for two to become one. You're not coming in fully or wholly. W-H, not wholly, right? H, well, okay. The seventh command shows us this. The seventh command shows us that God is faithful and holy. He never lusts after another. Never. He's never going to cheat on you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to get caught up looking on the internet at stuff he has no business looking at because he cares deeply for you. The seventh command shows us he's faithful and holy. And we, this is what I love about Leviticus. Anybody reading Leviticus yet? Probably not. It's just January. It's coming. Leviticus 19 says, You are to be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And Peter uh, recites this refrain in his, in his letters. We are to be holy because God is holy. All right, there's a lot more. We probably should have a whole Sunday on this. Maybe we'll do that soon. Eighth commandment, do not steal. The main idea here is that God is our good provider. And ultimately, everything belongs to him. Everything. I hope, that, I hope you find freedom in that. If you're early in your career and you're trying to pursue all kinds of worldly things, just know that nothing is yours. Your name can be on the deed of your house and the mail can show up at your address. That house is not your house. Okay? In just a few years, that house is probably going to be somebody else's house anyways. The house is the Lord's. To be stewarded for His glory and the good of those in your neighborhood. So, therefore, we don't have the right to take something that He has given to someone else. Let's echo back to the garden. We, we think a lot of times that, and this is true, that the first sin is what? It's idolatry. It's not the actual act of eating the apple, okay, which I'm going to make the argument was theft. They were taking something that is not theirs. But the first sin was, I want to be God. Well, that's having another God before Yahweh. And then what happens is as I replace God as a supreme being in my life, then I'm, gonna, I'm willing to steal something, okay? Uh, growing up, please don't judge me for this, um, I, I decided one time I wanted to go to a baseball camp really bad, but I had to, get, I had to make some money. Well, I'm like, I'm 12. How am I going to make money? Like, I can cut grass for 50 cents. The camp's 100 bucks. Like, I'm, it's going to take forever. So one of my buddies had a wallet that was sticking out of his backpack, and I was like, He's got a 20 in there, and that's like a one-fifth of the way to 100. I'm just going to take that 20. Well, it turns out my buddy's mom was the uh, superior court judge in town. And um, so I got called into her office after some, you know, counseling that I had to do with my parents and stuff. Uh, who, again, they're in the room. Thank you for doing that. It helped shape and mold me and sanctification all that stuff. It was horrible. It was horrible. And so I walk into the judge's office, and she looks at me, and she's... I mean, I was a kid, you know, and, and I, I just wasn't thinking. But what was at the heart of that? I wanted something I didn't have, and I was willing to do whatever I could to get it, right? And then what do you do? Then you start lying, right? You start lying. I didn't tell you. 
Oh, that's not, that wasn't Jackson's 20, that was my 20. Where'd you get a $20 bill? You know? So that's what happens as we see these things. They begin to snowball. But the first sin in the garden leads to theft. They, they take of the fruit, something that does not belong to them. This command helps us keep in perspective or to let loose our idolatry of material things. Okay? And what I want to do is when we come to number 10 is see how that one kind of catapults its way back up the chain of commands and how God is establishing these through covetousness. Okay? So this gives us perspective. God's provided everything we need in Christ. Everything. Even if it means you don't get to go to the baseball camp. I had everything I needed in Christ, but I couldn't see it for the glimmer of something I wanted. Okay? That was the sin that led to me stealing. Baseball was the idol, and so I was willing to do whatever I had to do to chase that idol. Does that make sense? Do not steal, okay? Proverbs 30, I mentioned this in our family group too, but this is one of my favorite passages in Proverbs. Um, if you, why don't you flip there if you can, if you can find it real fast. I think it's on the screen. Is Proverbs 30 on the screen? Okay, or you can just look on the screen. I'll, I'll go ahead and start reading because we're running short on time. This is called the prayer of Agur, um, and I want you to just listen to the humility here, okay? And if you struggle to pray, maybe pray here. Pray this prayer, okay? This is Proverbs 30, verse 7 through 9. It says, two things I ask of you. This is now Agur speaking to the Lord, okay? Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needed for me. Verse 9, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane your name of my God. That's humility. This is what Jesus is getting across when the disciples are begging him to teach him how to pray. He says, give us this daily bread. Right? Because if we have too much, what do we do? It's okay. We're, we're, it's, it's a safe space. If we have too much, we get arrogant, don't we? And we, we start to make stuff about who we are. Like, oh, do you see this? You see my new house? You see my new car? We had steak last night at dinner, right? And we puff ourselves up and we become, we become, we think we're bigger than we are and we become our own God. We become our own idol. But if we don't have enough, what do we do? We're willing to steal. We're willing to lie. We're willing to cheat in order to survive, okay? So this prayer, give me just enough, might be the greatest prayer that we could pray because we have everything we need in Jesus. So the eighth command shows us that God is a faithful provider. He is a faithful provider. I don't know where you are exactly in your stage of life, but just know, I know that in the stages of life I've lived up until now, in every season, he is a faithful provider. You know what he provided for me when I was 12 and stealing money? Humility. I was embarrassed. And ultimately, that what set me on a trajectory of being set free. Okay? The ninth commandment, do not bear false witness. This is specifically against your neighbor. The main idea here is that as the children of God, we should not lie or bear false witness against someone because God does not and he cannot lie. All right? This command is tied to legal testimony and giving witness, right? You're called to a witness stand. You're not to lie. Even in our eroded culture, we still put our hand on the Bible and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me. Who is God? That's what I always want to say after that. Who is God? Is it a big G or is it a little G? 
Okay? This is me being a cynic of our culture. I apologize. I think this extends beyond just giving witness, though. It also extends, can you tell the truth and also uh, be hurting your neighbor? Can you give a false witness but tell the truth? Absolutely. Can you know what it's called? Gossip. It's called gossip. And this is the thing that will destroy a church faster than probably anything. But what we need to remember as Christians is that nothing extends outside of the courtroom of God. Nothing. So all the little things in our life that we think are hidden, he knows about them. And guess what? If you're truly in Christ, he sees you through his son. And those little things that you think you you need to hide from him, he wants you to give them over to him. And so I pray that you will do that. We'll be held accountable one day for all of our words. This was going back to the letter of James. So the ninth command teaches us about God's truthfulness. His truthfulness. He cannot lie. Uh, Maybe here, too, just talk about he promises to return and to make all things new. He cannot and he will not lie. No matter what happens in our world, he will make it new. Thank you. One person. If you're new to the branch, I I expect more. Okay? I expect more. Let's do the 10th commandment. I'm coveting. I apologize. I covet public affirmation. (laughs) Father, forgive me. All right. The 10th command, do not covet. Let's read the whole verse because this is, this is an interesting one. Okay, So we have do not murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, right? These are the you shall nots. And then we get this last one, don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So these four words that are on the screen here, coveting, comparing, greed, discontentment, all of these things are evil. And they creep into our hearts so fast. We don't even know it's happened. But there are things that creep in and cause us to doubt God's provision in our lives and ultimately cause us to doubt that God himself is the one that knows our needs and satisfies our deepest desire. This command addresses the sin of discontentment And if anything else robs you of joy, it's discontentment. And in Christ, we are to live lives fueled by joy. But as we begin to compare our lives and the trajectory of what our career or what our family may look like, that discontentment, that covetousness, robs us of the joys of the presence of God in our lives. It's not a material problem. It's not a house problem or a car problem or a spouse problem. It's a heart problem. Because in God's place, we have put some sort of longing for something that, frankly, we don't deserve. Now, one of the things that I'm, I don't mean to like press in on a hot spot, but our church has seen a lot of engagements recently. And maybe you're in the room and you're like, man, I wish that was me. Or we've had a million babies born in the last couple of years. Man, I wish that was me. Or you're on Instagram and you're looking at, man, their family looks like they got it together. I wish that was me. Their kids seem so nice. Mine don't. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about some, it could be a potential scenario, okay? I just try, my whole goal up here, okay, a side goal, I don't get paid for this one, is to make Braden laugh. If I can do it, then I know it's, he's not even paying attention right now, so um, it's fine. <laughs> there it was. I checked that off the box today. But these are heart problems, right? When we lack joy, when we covet, what do we do? 
We're willing to lie to get what we want. We're willing to cheat. We're willing to steal. We're even willing to kill in order to get the things that we want. And so this 10th commandment, it's not number 10 for an accident. It's number 10 on purpose. Because all of these other things lead us. They stem from, I've got another God, and I covet something else. And everything in between is what God is using to define who he is and what he cares about. Listen to Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, this is Jesus. He said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I've done a number of funerals in my time as a pastor, and all of them had a will. You know what a will is? A trust. Because all the stuff is now going to someone else. You don't get to take it with you. Nothing, literally nothing. I mean, they're going to put you in a suit or a dress or something and then put you in a box. And eventually it's just going to be a suit wrapped around bones. And you're going to stand before the presence of God I don't know if this is exactly how it's going to happen, but he's going to look at you and he's not going to see all of your stuff. He doesn't care about your things. He wants you. And if we can remember that, if we can understand that all he wants, all he desires is us, then what are the things that we should desire? Him. Him. And him alone. The 10th command teaches us about God's faithfulness his goodness, and his provision. Our Father, who is good and perfect, knows what we need before we ever ask. He does. He fulfills this in his son Jesus. He fulfills it in our lives every day. Give us this day our daily bread. He alone satisfies our deepest longings, the deepest longing of your soul. The reason that you cheat, the reason that you lie, the reason that you steal or are willing to kill someone because your deepest desire is to be known. And in Christ, we are fully known and finally known and forever known. And this is the beauty of the gospel. We are accepted. We are brought near and we are made new. The Ten Commandments reflect God's character. They are ten I am statements. I am good enough for you not to steal your neighbor's stuff. I am enough in your life, so stop coveting your neighbor's things or his wife or his donkey or his ox. I am enough. So don't steal, don't kill, don't cheat. Our hope is not in our ability to keep the law. Our hope is in Christ's keeping the law. I have come to fulfill it, not to abolish it. And it's in that, it's in him keeping it that we find our freedom. That's where we find our salvation. That is salvation. And the law defines that. So as we close our service this morning, we, I want to call us into a time of response. I'm going to, I'm going to read back through the, last, the three points that we closed last week because I think those three things are what nails down the Ten Commandments for the, in the life of a Christian. But as you go to the table and you take of the bread and you dip it in the cup, would you be reminded of the magnitude of the law. It is important. You should not take the Lord's name in vain. You shouldn't do it. Why? Because he is a good and holy God. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't cheat. You shouldn't kill, right? So as you go, would you be mindful of the nature and character of God as you partake in communion, as you 
sit at the table of the Lord, and he breaks the bread. He says, this is my body, broken for you. Like, actually broken. His body was broken, wide open. He says, this is my blood poured out for you for the salvation of those who love me. So that's what we're going to do in this time. But I want to remind us, and then I'll pray. Jesus perfectly kept the law on our behalf so that through his sacrifice we could receive adoption. This is from Galatians. The righteous requirement of the law was perfection, something that we can't provide. It must be provided for us. And lastly, the perfect righteousness that couldn't be earned by us was imputed to us through Christ. We have been grafted in. Okay? It means we didn't earn our righteousness. We were given righteousness. Amen to that. Love you. And uh, let's respond now in worship as we go to the table and um, with pure hearts. Father, we are grateful for this time together this morning. Uh, I'm thankful that you have revealed yourself to us as a good and loving Father, uh, worthy of being honored. And I pray that our lives would, would be that honoring to you. And God, I pray for those in the room who have really challenging uh, moms and dads, that somehow you would call out in us uh, an awareness that even those difficult narratives are your grace and sovereignty to us. Uh, the world's full of, of missing dads and runaway moms, and uh, you don't ever do that. And so I pray that you would help us to be mindful of that. God, I pray that you would help us to view our neighbor as a brother and as a sister uh, rather than through the lens of anger and destruction or lust, or greed, Set us free in Christ. So I pray now as we uh, go to the table that you would help us remember well uh, what you've done and what you've accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we pray that you would come, return quickly, and make all things new. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.